Matthew 22. Matthew 22. I'll give them a second here, but uh, reading verses 2 and 3. And I've entitled this message today, The Invitation. The Invitation. So as they are leaving, let's stand together out of honor to God and His Word as I read. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, but they would not come. All right, thank you. You may be seated. So we're looking at uh, the reception, the invitation today to the reception. Now, speaking of invitation, there was a husband. He came home from work, and without any warning, out of the clear blue, he tells his wife that he invited a friend over for dinner that evening. As expected, his wife was angry at being imposed on in such short notice, so she replies, Are you crazy? The house is a mess. There's dirty dishes in the sink. I don't have time to go grocery shopping, and I don't feel like cooking a big meal. The husband said, I know all that. The wife then asks, So why'd you invite him over? The husband says, Because he's thinking of getting married. All right. The men laugh at that one, right? All right, so let's look at the invitation this morning. First of all, let's look at the occasion. The occasion. Again, this is a wedding, in particular a wedding reception. Uh, Jesus tells the parable here about this wedding reception. God the Father is the king in the parable. The king's son is Jesus in the parable. The would-be guests are the Jewish people. And the newly invited guests from verse 9, they are the Gentiles and the believing Jews. Now, this is not unusual in the Bible that that Jesus would compare heaven or eternal life to a wedding reception because John would later compare heaven to a wedding. This is in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 7. Let me read it. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now in this story, Jesus is the groom, and all believers from all times are the bride. Those who have put their faith in God, and on the New Testament side of things, those who put their faith in God in the person of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, who was buried for our sins, and the third day rose again from the dead. And this wedding supper in Revelation 19, it symbolizes the celebration of the union of Jesus and His bride, the church. Now let me say this also. There is a parallel story here to this one in Matthew 22 in Luke 14, and I will be referencing that as we go along. So we see the occasion. There is a wedding reception. Secondly, let's look at the invitation. The king sent out an invitation by way of his servants, verse 3 says. Now, first century invitations came in two parts. The first invitation informed people, hey, there's going to be something going on. There's going to be a wedding. And then the second invitation announced that everything was ready. It's kind of like today, uh, we send out a save the date card, and then we send out the invitation. I don't know if you ever got a save the date card, uh, maybe a year in advance. They say, save this date, because it's coming up. And so you put that on your refrigerator or whatever, and then later on you'll get the actual invitation. It's sort of like that. Well, God sends out an invitation. And He doesn't send out an invitation just to certain guests like we see here. God sends out an invitation to everyone. To everyone. Let me read to you. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. That's an invitation to everyone to be saved. Not just the Jews like in this parable. And even under the Old Testament, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, the Jews were to invite others to salvation by witnessing. We read about that in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, where God calls Israel a nation of priests 
And priests were to represent God to, to the rest of the world. Not only that, but I tried to show you this a couple weeks ago, and we were having technical troubles, but here's a map of the known world at the time of writing of the Bible, and I want you to notice that black uh, rectangle, that's Israel. Now notice to the left, uh, one of the greatest kingdoms on the face of the earth at the time was Egypt, and to the right, uh, at different times, you had the greatest kingdoms of the earth to the north, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. But look what's right smack dab in the middle, that's Israel. Now, as these great kingdoms of the earth wanted to trade with each other, Egypt with Assyria or Babylon and, and vice versa, they had to pass through Israel because you couldn't go the other way. It was, it was desert. That's why that brown, that looks like brown there. That was desert. You couldn't go through there, so you had to go through Israel. Well, why would God put Israel right smack dab in the middle of the trade route so that they could tell the truth about Almighty God, so they could witness for Almighty God who He is and that He wants to save them? And so it doesn't matter whether in the New Testament or the Old Testament, God sends out an invitation. Whosoever will may come. Now, how did God send this message out, this invitation? He sent it by way of His servants, whether the prophets of the Old Testament or the Scriptures of Old and New Testament or preachers in the New Testament or faithful believers through the years. He sends out that invitation inviting people to come to the wedding, which is really eternal life. But finally... God sent out a final invitation through His Son, Jesus Christ. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoken times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world. So God sends out an invitation to everyone through prophets, scriptures, preachers, faithful believers, and finally, through His very own Son. Here's what's interesting about His Son, though. Jesus is both the invitation and the groom. Remember how we looked at how He's the groom in the stories? Well, Jesus is both the invitation and the groom. Now, God has paid for the reception like any good host would do. I'm still paying for uh, Karis's uh, reception from this time last year. I'm still paying for that, but I paid for it, or I am paying for it. Anyway, I didn't charge anybody that came. And uh, God has paid for the reception like any good host would do. Whether it's the food, the entertainment, even the guests' clothing. Look in verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, understand this. Hosts in that day, especially kings, they often provided wedding finery for their guests. And so uh, they would invite you to come to the wedding, and maybe at home you had a nice clothes, or maybe you didn't. Uh, but it didn't matter. The king would provide you with the clothing you needed to make sure that you fit in, to make sure that you went with the, the color scheme or whatever the case might be uh, with that. I wonder, have you ever showed up improperly dressed for something? Have you? Happens to me all the time. Debbie and I will be getting ready to go somewhere. And so, you know, I'll get dressed and I'll come down. And she'll look at me and she says, is that what you're wearing? <laughs> and the only way I can respond is, apparently not. Apparently not. You know, i got to go get changed. Uh, you know, if she doesn't lay my clothes out for me, I'm probably not going to pick the right stuff. But anyway, this man dressed inappropriately. And when he did so, he was acting with disrespect towards both the king and the king's son. Again, proper clothing was provided in that day. But he chose not to wear the clothing that was provided to him. He rejected the clothes that the king provided. He thought his clothes were better. Or at least he thought his clothes were good enough. So he says, I'm not changing. I'm not putting on that stuff that the, the king provided. I'm okay. I'm good enough. 
or my clothes are even better. Well, look how the king responds to that in verse 13. The king had the guest arrested, removed, and punished. It says, Then the, said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Righteousness is the only acceptable dress code for heaven. You want to go to heaven? There's only one dress code, and that is righteousness. These wedding garments that we're referring to here in the parable, they are the very righteousness of Christ. Isaiah talks about that in Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath clothed me with the robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom decked with himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorned herself with her jewels. Now, you've got to have the righteousness of Christ if you want to go to heaven. And the righteousness of Christ is attainable only by grace through faith in Him. Why? Because we don't have any righteousness of our own. Isaiah 64, 6 is very clear on that. It says, All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. So the very best you and I can muster up, the very, very best, our best behavior is like filthy rags to God. We have no righteousness of our own. But you know, people today think that they're good. Uh, I hear it all the time. I know Dean hears it all the time. You talk to people about salvation. They say, well, I'm a good person. I don't kill people. I don't rob banks. I'm, I'm good. So they think they're good, or at least, like this guy here, they think they're good enough. Oh, I'm sure I'm good enough for God. You know what the Bible teaches in Romans 3.10? There is none that doeth good. Not even one. There is none. Yeah, this preacher standing before you right now, no good in me. No good in me. I am righteous only because I wear the righteousness of Christ. And now it's only by grace through faith. That's it. But just like this guy, he was provided the proper clothing, but he said, you know what, my clothes are good enough, or my clothes are even better. And that's how people still think today. I want to show you one more thing from the end, and that's in verse 14. Jesus ends this parable by saying, For many are called, but few are chosen. God invites many. God invites many. And really that word in Greek can mean all, just like we've been talking about. God invites all. But who responds? Only the chosen responds because many are called, but few are chosen. So we've seen the occasion. It's a wedding. Uh, we see the invitation. The invitation goes out. But thirdly, and this is really crazy, let's look at the rejection. The rejection. None of these would-be guests want to come. Look in verse 5. But they made light of it. Let's talk about the invitation. And they went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. They were too busy to come to the wedding, too busy farming, too busy running a business, too busy, look in verse 6, mistreating and killing the king's messengers. It says there, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and killed them. Just like today, people still make excuses. I don't have enough time, you know, to to go to church and to follow God and do the things. I don't have enough time. Or, or they'll tell you, you know what? Organized religion is corrupt. Or they'll tell you that religion today and Christianity, it's old-fashioned, it's outdated, it's closed-minded, it's unscientific. Or maybe they would say, you know what? I would follow, but you have to give up too much. I'd have to give up too much time or too much money. And mostly what they're saying is, I'd have to give up my sin. That's what they really don't want to let go of. Because they'll spend time, they'll spend money on everything else under the sun. It's the sin they don't want to let go of. And so let's be careful looking down our, our noses at these people 
who representing the Jewish people who rejected God's invitation because people today still reject God's invitation. In fact, Israel's rejection typified here was orchestrated to result in our salvation as Gentiles. Paul talks about that. Well, I've gotten, I've skipped ahead of myself somewhere. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'll just go on with it. Israel's uh, rejection typified here was orchestrated to result in our salvation. So Paul writes in Romans 11.11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Well, I want you to see what happens in verse 7. The angry king destroys the invited and their city. When he sends out the invitation and they all reject, too busy, too busy running my farm, too busy uh, running my business, too busy killing your servants, uh, the king is angry. Look at verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Please learn this from this parable. There is a limit to God's patience. Oh, God is very patient. He is very, very patient. But there is a limit to God's patience. Okay? And learn this too, that vengeance belongs to God and He will take it. Uh, Romans 12.19 says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So learn this. There is a limit to God's patience. And secondly, vengeance belongs to God and He's not afraid to take it. Rejecting, dismissing, or ignoring God's invitation first of all resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Notice what Jesus says in verse 7, uh, that their, their city was burned up. Well, that's exactly what happened. The Jews of Jerusalem, they rejected this invitation, and that resulted in the, in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But rejecting, dismissing, or ignoring God's invitation at any time results in eternal judgment in hell. And so don't be a fool like these fools in this parable that rejected God's invitation. He said, well, I'm not sure if he invited me or not. Whosoever will may come. And if you've never ever heard that before, if you never have heard that you've been invited uh, into the kingdom of God, you've never been invited to this wedding, I'm issuing invitation from God right now. You are invited. You are welcome. And so we've seen the occasion. We've seen the invitation. We've seen the rejection. Fourthly, let's look at the solution. So there's nobody at this... The king's got everything ready and there's nobody that has come. They've all had better things to do. So the king orders that his servants find some guests. Notice he orders in verses 9 and 10, the bad and the good. It says there, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out of the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Now, when you read this in Luke's parallel account, you find out not only the bad and good, as, as Matthew says, uh, but Luke tells us the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. Look at this, Luke 14 and 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. After doing so, Luke says in verse 22 that there was still some room left. And so in verse 23, the king then instructs his servant to go out and force people to come in. Verse 23, force people. He says, compel them to come in. That word compel means to force, to insist. Make them come. 
The king said, I want my house full for this wedding. I don't want any empty seats. And so bring the bad, bring the good, bring the halt, bring the, the lame, bring them all. And when there's still more room, go force them, get me more people, fill every single seat. The bottom line is God must choose to invite some. God must choose to invite some. And God's chosen are, first of all, the undesirable. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 29. The undesirable, as far as the world is concerned, those are the ones whom God chooses, the undesirable. Secondly, God chooses the unable. These people could not bring themselves. They were helpless. They would have to be brought. I mean, again, look, the poor wouldn't have a way to get there. The maimed couldn't go. The halt couldn't go. The blind couldn't find their way. And so they had to be brought. Just like Jesus had to bring us. Look at 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so God must choose to invite some. God's chosen are the undesirable, the unable, often the unlikely. Now I am sort of likely, like, like many of you, I'm sort of likely. What I mean by that, I was raised by Christian parents in a Christian home. And so it's kind of likely that I would grow up to then uh, become a Christian. It's kind of likely. But some of you in this room are not likely at all. You weren't raised in church. You weren't raised by Christian parents. But let me tell you what this, even those who seemed like they'd be likely, like me, not all the likely are saved. God's choice is based on His goodness, not our own. Based on His goodness, not our own. And so when it comes to your salvation and mine, our salvation should first of all cause humility. I mean, we realize we didn't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be forgiven. We don't deserve to have eternal life. Uh, That should humble you and should humble me. And think about this. God chose us out of billions of others. It should never cause us pridefulness to be one of God's chosen. Remember, He chose the bad. He chose the halt, the lame, the blind. And so your salvation should cause humility. Secondly, our salvation should encourage our faithfulness to God and His work. God chose you. Now show your appreciation to Him in service. I believe healthy, saved individuals cannot sit or stand idly by and watch the work of the church go on. If you are saved and you're healthy... How can you just sit there and do nothing for the kingdom of God? I don't understand that. I don't. Because I'm so grateful that God saved me. I want to serve Him. I want to spread the Word. I want to invite others. And I want to help the church to do that. And thirdly, your salvation and mine should produce gratefulness. First of all, continual gratefulness. Just being thankful all the time that you're saved. And Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So we should have continual thanks and, of course, eternal thanks. For all eternity, we'll be thanking God for saving us. And so today we looked at the occasion. We've got a wedding on our hands. We've seen the invitation. The king sends out the invitation. We see, thirdly, the rejection. Everybody says, "Ah, Too busy. And we looked at the solution. So the king says, you know what? I want people. I paid for all this. I want people. Just go find me anybody. I don't care. Bring them in. Force them to come in. And let's look lastly at the reaction. 
How have you responded to God's invitation? Naturally, by rejection? Or supernaturally, by reception? It is natural. That's the part I kind of got confused on earlier. It is natural for us to reject God's invitation. Uh, people are spiritually dead before we're saved. Ephesians 2.1 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. People have a sin nature and we freely choose based on that sin nature. We are unable and unwilling to accept God's invitation. The whole idea of salvation seems ridiculous. It seems laughable. In fact, look in verse 5 here. When the invitation goes out, it says they made light of it. They laughed at it. Oh, that silly king, he's throwing a big party. That's so ridiculous. The whole idea of salvation to the unbeliever seems laughable, ridiculous. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that Christianity is foolishness to believers. They're uninterested and they have much better things they think that they can be doing. And so again, I ask you, how have you responded to God's invitation? Naturally through rejection or supernaturally through reception, receiving that invitation. But you might be here saying, well, Brother Gary, uh, nobody ever invited me. I know I said this earlier, but I don't ever recall anybody ever inviting me. Well, guess what? You've been invited today. I know because I just invited you. And I'm not asking, I'm not inviting you to go to heaven. That is God through me saying, whosoever will may come. So if you've never heard it before, you've never been invited before, mark this date down on your calendar. You've been invited to the wedding that God is throwing. But make sure you wear your wedding clothes. The righteousness of Christ. And that's only available by grace through faith in Him. So how are you going to respond? Naturally by rejection or supernaturally by reception? And let me ask you this. If you've already received Christ as your Savior, you are saved. Are you responding to your salvation in humility? Are you responding in gratefulness? Are you responding in service to Him? So I ask you again, what will you do with today's invitation? Reject it or receive it? I'm not asking you to become a member of this church. I'm not asking you to join the choir. I'm not asking you any of those things to serve on a committee. I'm asking you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Believing that He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day, that's what I'm asking you to receive. And then after that, if you want to sing in the choir, if you want to serve on a committee, we'll talk. What are you going to do with the invitation? You can respond naturally and reject it. You can respond supernaturally and receive it by grace through faith in Christ. And then believer, having received the invitation, make sure you respond with humility, with gratefulness, and in service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is this invitation going out to everyone. And I'm personally grateful, Lord, that you gave me grace and faith to accept the invitation. There are many others in this room who also, by grace through faith, have accepted your invitation. But there may be some who haven't. So, Lord, give them the same grace and faith that you gave me, that they might accept your invitation to live in heaven with you forever. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, may we be humble. May we be grateful. And may we be your servants. In Jesus' name. Amen.